Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to episode 61 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts. We're currently in the season of Easter and spending some time looking at the meaning and implications of the doctrine of resurrection. And certainly one of those implications is hope, that as a result of our belief that Jesus Christ has been raised bodily from the dead, we are to live in this world with a hope that transcends what people without this faith could understand, that because Christ is alive, so are we, and that is a deeply hopeful thing. And so to explore this idea of hope and resurrection, I want to read the resurrection account from Matthew's gospel today from chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead, and indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Here ends the reading. So for this reflection on Easter hope, I want to start with a story that I believe I shared in an Easter sermon two years ago about a time back in Houston when I came upon a spider web in our garage. Now, something to know about me, I'm not a big fan of spiders, which means that whenever I see a spider in my home, I kindly ask my wife Emily to take care of it, and if she's not available, I get my daughter Annie. But there was no spider in this web, and I was alone, and so In a very manly way, I took a broomstick and I closed my eyes, said a prayer, and began swinging. And I felt great relief when the web crumbled to the ground in fragments. And I just remember thinking, okay, I did it. That was that. Well, the next day, I saw that the spider rewove the web that I broke. But this time, her web was bigger, more complex, even more beautiful than before. And so the spider was a very formidable foe, and I could not help but deeply admire her creativity and resiliency. But I quickly put those warm feelings aside and 
picked up a can of military-grade wasp spray to reduce this web to a few meager strands. And I did a thorough job. This time I knew that was that. Well, I was wrong again, (laughs) because whenever I returned home that evening, I was shocked to see that those very strands now formed the basis of a new web that was really just so impressive and so intricate that I was speechless in the face of its beauty. Both times I thought I was breaking the web and putting an end to its life, but my destructive actions were used, accounted for, factored in to a larger process whereby the spider made her web increasingly beautiful. Whenever I did my absolute worst, this spider used my worst to create her absolute best, a creation more beautiful than had the web never been broken. So roughly 2,000 years ago, as we all know, the world did its absolute worst by crucifying the Son of God, the world's true king. The hope that in Jesus, God's kingdom had arrived once and for all was seemingly torn to shreds whenever Jesus died. Think about the spiritual and psychological state of the two Marys in the Bible passage that we read at the beginning of this reflection. I imagine they felt so defeated, lost, and deeply afraid. The world had done its absolute worst to them and to their leader, You see, the two Marys had left everything to follow Jesus. They witnessed this man kiss lepers, cure the sick, give power to the marginalized, and hope to the hopeless. But now he had been killed in the cruelest of ways and thrown out like the trash. And so as they walked to the tomb that first Easter morn, the web of their soul is certainly broken and torn. I believe that we all know something of their defeat and their fear. Even after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, very little, after all, in the appearance of our world changed. The Romans continued to crucify people. Nations continued to war and plagues and pandemics continue to ravage villages and cities. This realization that God allows evil to exist that God allows winter storms to freeze people and break homes, that God allows chaos to reign at times. This is what makes faith seemingly impossible for so many people, that God would allow the web of creation, the web of our soul, and the web of our families to be knocked down by the broom of our sin, the broom of our selfishness, the broom of our sickness. Whenever a young child dies of cancer or whenever a family member dies of COVID, when the only cure we can imagine for war is going to war or when we cannot save someone we love, in those moments we feel the world in a very tangible way doing its absolute worst. We also feel scared, guilty, and powerless because... Well, we are that world. We want to be part of the solution, but we see that the problem resides deep within us. As Ernest Hemingway purportedly said, eventually, life breaks everyone. 
I believe that a healthy acknowledgement of our defeat, our fear, our powerlessness to transform the world around us is not a sad or depressing thing to acknowledge, but actually hopeful because it is the context in which the resurrection is experienced. An authentic spirituality will never lose touch with our need for God to rescue us because only from a place of need can we hear the words of the angel spoken to the Marys. I know you came to this tomb looking for a dead person. However, this man you love and who loves you, this man you hoped would heal our world and heal your life, he is not here and he's certainly not dead. Jesus has risen. Those are really powerful words. Jesus has risen, and it is really the lifeblood of the Christian faith. I recently heard a story that illustrates this about a convert to Christianity. His friends were curious about why he would decide to become a Christian. All religions, they were very right to point out, have deep wisdom to offer about life and existence. They all teach us to be more compassionate. And so why Jesus? Why follow Jesus? And I I think his answer to this question was so clever. He said, suppose you're going down a road that forks in two different directions, and you don't know which way you want to go. At the fork are two men, one dead and the other alive. Which man would you ask for directions? Christian hope is deeply rooted in a belief that our Lord, our Savior, our Teacher, our King, and our Friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that He is alive. When we did our absolute worst by crucifying the Word made flesh, God used our worst. God accounted for it. God factored it in so that God might give the world His best by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. For those of you who listen to this podcast, one of the things I shared recently in, oh, it was a sermon recently, not a podcast, but I shared that I'm a sucker for self-help books, and I'm always one of those people who's looking for a tip or a trick to calm my nerves and center my being and find my equilibrium. But I also know that my hope as a Christian cannot rest on anything I do. My ultimate trust as a person and a priest, it is not in a system, a practice, or a technique. But my ultimate trust must always be in a person who I believe is alive. Christian hope, my friends, has nothing to do with faith in progress, the evolution of human consciousness, the power of the human spirit, or how we might overcome The bedrock of Easter hope is that God has overcome, that God has overcome every sin, every mistake, every accident and defeat. God has overcome the many ways the web of our soul has been torn, and God has done this by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. I had an experience not too long ago where I was rummaging through old photos and pictures of my past. And whenever I do this, I always just kind of marvel at how who I was then seems so different than the person I am now. And 
I began to think how neat it could be if I could just see a picture of my future, of who I'd be in 10, 20, 30 years. And then in a moment of absolute clarity, I realized that, in a sense, I do have a picture of my future. That in Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, that what God does is give us all a picture of our future self in Christ. And what do we look like? We are raised, our bodies are healed, and we are utterly alive. In the meantime, I know that we're all going to experience the suffering of our world as deeply confusing, as scary, and perhaps even at times meaningless. However, I truly believe that God sees the whole human drama much differently and that through the lens of the resurrection that we are invited to see the whole human drama much differently as fully resolved in Christ. Because in that same way that the spider took the places where I broke her web to reweave it into something more beautiful than before, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is our assurance that this is exactly what God intends to do with our life and our world. And so I invite you this Easter season to ponder, how is it that life has broken you or maybe broken someone you love? Ponder the addiction, the fear, the shame, the regret, the pain, the disease, the unresolved relationship, or the career that never took off. Because our deep conviction and hope is that from these meager strands, God is rewriting our story in such a way that our future self is more beautiful, more joyful, and more alive than had the web of our soul never been torn in the first place. This is our assurance the meaning behind the angel sitting on the stone that formerly had been used to cover Jesus' dead body. The angel is flaunting the power of God to bring good out of evil and new life out of death. And don't think that hope is to be confused with optimism, a belief that things will never go wrong, or a a belief that things will get better. The truth is, right now, I'm deeply optimistic about our world. I believe that things with the pandemic, that things with society are getting much better, but that's optimism and not hope. And optimism is a great thing. But a belief that things will never go wrong is unrealistic because the truth is, that eventually things go wrong for most of us. And hope is a belief, not that things are all going to work out smoothly, but rather that all the wrongness we experience, all the mistakes and the injustice and the pain, that it too has been nailed to Jesus' cross, and that in his resurrection, God is at work forever making it right. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead exposes our fear, anxiety, and our pain for what it truly is. Empty as the tomb on that first Easter morning. And so whenever I think about the time of Jesus' crucifixion, I can't help but smile when I think of Pontius Pilate, the man who ultimately made the decision, getting news on that first Good Friday that Jesus was dead. And, you know, Pilate had mixed feelings about executing Jesus. We know that 
from the Gospels, but the truth is, historically speaking, Jesus was not the first man that Pilate crucified, and Jesus would not be the last. And so whenever Pilate got that news, I can't help but imagine that he just shrugged his shoulders and poured a drink, thinking that was that. Well, friends, that was not that. And if the resurrection of the Son of God means anything, it's that with God, that is never that. And by that, I mean that sin, that mistake, that death, that tragedy, that loneliness, that confusion, that unique way the web of your soul has been torn, that is never that. The web of your soul is being rewoven even as I speak these words, your soul is being rewoven in Jesus Christ. And so gaze no more at the tomb where your fear and your anxiety and your despair all live. Jesus is not there, for he is risen. Jesus is alive. And because Jesus lives, so do you.